0: Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Hey, welcome back, everybody. From time to time, we like to spotlight, highlight those people that go above and beyond in helping others, whether it's personally or professionally. We've got somebody who is a very successful advocate for clients' interests, And that is in the legal world demonstrated by significant number of multi-million dollar awards that he's won for his clients. And we're going to talk with him today about his long career, people he's been connected with, all the cases that they take within his firm in Baltimore, Maryland. And we make Paul D. Beckman our Hall of Fame legal expert. Paul, welcome. How are you today? Doing
1: great. How are you, Steve?
0: Wonderful. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So you are part of a legal firm, Beckman Martyr Datkins. Is that correct?
1: Well, it's actually changed the name, it's Beckman Martyr Hopper Malarkey and Perlin.
0: Gotcha. And you have quite a few people on your staff. When it comes to cases... It seems to me a lot of personal injury type cases, liability. Tell us all about that.
1: So there are a whole variety of cases that we handle, but basically uh, they are catastrophic personal injury and wrongful death cases. They would include cases involving planes, trains, trucks, automobiles, medical negligence, and product liability. How? Those are the
0: Gotcha. And how often do you encounter product liability cases? Does it happen more than we even realize? Uh,
1: The cases themselves occur uh, regularly. The problem with the product liability cases from an injured person's perspective are the costs associated with bringing those cases. They are extremely costly because... It is a battle of experts, and a battle of experts means you have to retain people who have extensive experience and knowledge uh, in those cases and who have testified in a lot of those cases. So they become very expensive cases to bring, but we handle them. We're very selective on the ones we take because we want to make sure that we can really help our clients.
0: And I'm sure that automobile and pedestrian type cases are probably more prevalent uh... what's your guidelines for that in terms of the cases that you will take
1: well we like to try to help everybody but we understand that uh... when it is a quote-unquote smaller case we'll have some of our associates handle them but if it is a more substantial case with serious permanent injuries or even death uh, the partners handle those individually Uh, And we try to brainstorm within the firm. It's an open-door policy. We talk all the time about different cases, whether we should take them, whether we shouldn't. And, you know, we don't want the clients to have um, exaggerated expectations. And from the beginning, we explain the process, what we do, how we handle them. And our basic belief is that if you take a case and you prepare your case for settlement, you are guaranteed to go to trial. But if you prepare your case for trial from the beginning, you will enhance your chances of
0: settlement. Wow. Interesting. I want to take a look at these situations. A lot of these automobile accidents, pedestrian-related collisions, a lot of times caused by negligence. Um, I've never heard this done before, but... What is the process on the scene? An accident takes place. It's not your fault. You know that somebody was negligent or you really, truly suspect that was the case. What are the things that somebody should do to take action? Because once, once you, you leave the scene of the accident, it's all done. Uh, you don't have that proof. What are some of the things that we should do?
1: So uh, the important thing, I think, initially is to make sure that the person or persons are taken care of medically. And there can be other members of the family, spouses, children, parents, uh, who can reach out to a lawyer. But you're absolutely right about making sure that when something like this happens, that you are able to capture information, which is very important and crucial to the case, which might otherwise be overlooked. I'll give you an example. We live in a world today where if an incident occurs in a city, uh, in a metropolitan area, there are cameras everywhere. Hmm. Uh, And we always have our investigators uh, go out, go to the scene, photograph the scene. If the vehicles aren't there, they're maybe taken to a, a lot for salvage, photograph all of the vehicles. And in many cases, when you're involved, particularly with trucks and buses uh, and trains, there are cameras there that produce a video which you can get. The other thing is is making sure that you locate any and all witnesses. When the police come to the scene of a serious accident, they're going to get information from both parties or all parties who are involved. And they will also give that party an information report uh, which will tell each party, who the other party is, who they're insured with, and they will also let them know about witnesses. It's our belief that the sooner you contact a witness, the better off you are. So our investigators will go out, they will get statements right after the incident occurs from people who are eyewitnesses to the incident because as we all know, as time goes by, uh, memories fade and it's always good to get something not just, oh, I spoke to somebody. I get a written statement. I want a written statement from witnesses about how the incident occurred. So you try to identify, is there some way that this was captured, video, phone, cameras, who was at the scene, identify the witnesses, get statements from the witnesses, and you start from day one to get your case ready to try uh, because
0: that will enhance your chances of resolving it. That's step one. Gotcha. Uh, And I appreciate all of that. This is the stuff that you don't hear, (laughs) typically. Uh, And it's a very tumultuous, very emotional, stressful time where you might not realize all of these things that you, you need to record, like the weather conditions, the driver information. Do you find that it can be a challenge for people to step forward as a witness.
1: Yes, uh, you know nobody really likes to get involved, but you know when you're a witness and you see something happen, right or wrong, uh, you want to be able to tell the truth about what happened. Uh, either someone is at fault, or maybe the person who um, is injured was at fault, and that information is critical. It's critical to all parties. So if someone comes to me and they say that the other party was at fault and I've sent out my people and my investigators, etc., and they come back with information that is different, uh, I show them the statements. This is what was said. This is what was observed. This is where they were. You know, you say you were going the speed limit. They say you were going 10, 20, 30 miles over the speed limit, and that creates a problem, and it particularly creates a problem, Steve, in our state, Maryland, which is unique. Um, And it's kind of unique in, I think, an unfair way. Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, and Alabama are the only four states in the United States that have what's called the doctrine of contributory negligence, which means if you're injured as a result of what you allege is somebody's negligence and you are 1% at fault, you lose. It is a complete bar to the recovery. Forty-six other states have comparative negligence, some where you can't be more than 50% at fault, but a lot of of them are pure comparative negligence where you could technically be 90% at fault and recover 10% of your damages. So you've got to be extremely careful, particularly in the state of Maryland where I am, about the cases that you undertake to take because, A, There is contributory negligence, and Maryland was one of the first states to enact caps or limits on non-economic damages, like pain and suffering, disfigurement, and in death cases, you know, loss of a spouse, mental anguish, emotional pain and suffering, things of that nature. So Maryland has kept those non-economic damages, not economic damages, but non economic and there are a number of states around the country, depending upon where you are, that have a cap. And it's generally the law of the place where the incident occurs that controls. So one has to be very clear about that because, you know, a lot of us are, have contiguous states where incidents may occur and where people may be looking for representation. So it's very important to know.
0: Well, that being said, it's very important to have the right representation because you've got a, in in the state of Maryland, you've got a steep climb potentially with your case. And the first thing that comes to mind, you know, you've said 1%. um, How is that determined? I mean, that is such a game changer. How is it all done?
1: Well, I will tell you how it's done, and I remember when I was a very young lawyer and I was trying some of the first cases that I tried where there was an allegation that the, my client was contributory negligence. Negligence. One of the things that the defense lawyer did at the close of the case is he took out a sheet of paper from his notepad. Mm-hmm. He stood before the jury, and he said, Members of the jury, I want you to understand this concept. Is called contributory negligence. What that means here in this case is even if you find my client, Mr. Smith, to be 99% at fault, if Mr. Jones was 1% at fault and then he tears off that little bitty edge of the white paper and drops it on the floor and says that's contributory negligence and he can't recover. Now, Now, that can be a very persuasive argument. Sure. So you better have good facts in your case
0: to avoid that. Ah uh, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I can't even get I'm trying to get my arms around that because let's say, you know, hypothetically here, you're driving, somebody does something, it's 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 negligent, they're on their cell phone whatever it might be, but you maybe took action to avoid them, got hit anyway, uh, but let's say you swerved in a certain direction and it might not have been exactly the way you should have gone, but it was still obviously their fault. You, you're, leaving, you're leaving a little bit of doubt in the jury's mind about the action you, that you took.
1: You are correct. And very good defense lawyers will make a lot of hay out of that. So it's no free ride.
0: Mm. Wow. Can you uh, give me the states again that have that, uh, that clause? Yeah,
1: it's Maryland. North Carolina, Alabama, uh, and actually uh, not a state, but the District of Columbia has that rule of contributory negligence as well.
0: Gotcha. In your opinion, why is that? Why do they have that clause?
1: Well, I think there are a lot of different answers to that, Um, one of which is in Maryland, for example, it was the law forever. Um, And there have been many attempts to change it, many attempts to overrule that law Uh, it's been presented to our highest court they've said it's not our duty to change it it's up to the legislature and uh, the legislature is reluctant um, to change that law Uh, and we're one of four states that remain plus the district of columbia sad situation and when i talk to lawyers steve from other states and they have a matter that may have occurred here in maryland and they want to refer to the case um and i tell them about contributory negligence there's silence on the phone uh, because this is just very unusual throughout the united states sure so you so you have to be very careful and be very well aware of it uh, when you're handling a case or deciding to handle a
0: case exactly you need to scrutinize everything it's almost as if In your mind, you know, as as the attorney, you're you're trying the case before you even tried the case, (laughs) just to see how it's going to go in your mind with everything.
1: It's very true, and it may play a a significant role in your decisions to undertake the case or not undertake the case. It could be a very serious case with very serious injuries, but if you've got, you know, a serious case of contributory negligence, Mm. you may very well decline.
0: Even if we flip the scenario around that we just talked about, let's say Mr. Smith was the one that got hit. And it's it's obvious the the other driver was negligent. However, it could go against Mr. Smith where the discussion could be, Mr. Smith, were you on your cell phone? Well, yes, I was. And then it all—we check the phone records and all. The, I mean, that, again, one percent is so finite. <laughs> they could be—you could pick out anything. You uh, were you dialing your phone at the time of the accident? Well, I don't yeah, remember.
1: Very, very true. And the same thing tends to happen also with regard to um, medical negligence cases, medical malpractice cases, mm. because you can be contributorily negligent if. For example, um, the doctor says to you after the operation, you know, um, everything went well, uh, really found no problems, but if you find problems with X or Y or Z, I want you to come back, and they don't. A very serious issue of contributory negligence can exist in that case.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a, a lot of times I've been in those situations where, you know, there was, let's say I went to go see a specialist, didn't really have any issues. Maybe six months later, went back, yeah, felt a little something, figured I'd double check. And the, right away, the first thing they say, well, you haven't been here in six months. <laughs> yeah, for you know, sure. Wow. Uh, let's talk about your history. Paul, leading to where you are now. Did you always have an interest in law? Did you have, you know, representing people, doing the right thing?
1: Well, it didn't actually come that way. I actually was, was at the Air Force Academy, and I took an introduction to law course, and boy, that was it for me. Uh, I uh, did my last year at the University of Maryland and then went to the University of Maryland Law School, which was downtown in Baltimore. And have been in Baltimore ever since. Uh, I practice in other states. I mean, I practice in Virginia. I practice in Delaware, New Jersey, Philadelphia, New York. But my primary practice is here in Maryland.
0: Why did you gravitate toward Maryland? Was it just, hey, this is where I'm going to live? Did you, you know, Was there a reason?
1: No, I had family here. Okay. Um, sister lived here. Parents were, uh, at the time, overseas. Uh, but had cousins, relatives here, and um, I had grown up in Washington, D.C., but had lived uh, here in, in Maryland, and uh, I habitated to the University of Maryland Law School. I had an opportunity to go to school in the district, uh, and I talked to somebody, uh, and he said, I said, you know, what should I do? Where should I, where should I go to law school? says, if you want to practice in law in Maryland, go to Maryland. Otherwise, you know, if you want to go practice in D.C., go to GW, go to Georgetown, you know, go to Catholic American. Uh, and I decided that Maryland was the place to, for me, and it was a good decision. that made.
0: Well, it sounded like you were starting off on a military direction. I know that you went to the, the New York Military Academy. Tell us about that.
1: Well, that was interesting. Uh, this is way back when. And, uh, at the time in order to get an appointment to any of the service academies West Point Annapolis Air Force Academy you had, uh you know you had to compete nationally for an appointment I didn't know any senators or congressmen who would typically appoint people to the various academies so I went to New York Military Academy uh, in Cornwall New York which is not far from New Bern New York and uh, I did my junior in senior year there, and then I got an appointment uh, to the Air Force Academy, where I went.
0: And that um, very early, I mean, your junior, it was, let me get that right, was it a junior and senior year, or sophomore? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Junior and senior year.
0: Uh, I understand you had an interesting classmate.
1: I did. Uh, now, this goes back to 1962, 63, 64. And one of my classmates, in our class, which was 94, quote-unquote, cadet was none other than Donald J. Trump.
0: <laughs> wow, and, interesting. Uh,
1: I knew him. Uh, uh, he was uh, a very competitive guy there, and he um, actually was captain of the uh, uh, baseball team. We were both on the football team together, and uh, he always wanted me to join the baseball team, which he was a member of because I had been a former pitcher back in the days when I was in the pony league, but, uh, I was captain of the golf team. That was good enough for me. And, uh, I enjoyed my time there.
0: So weren't you voted most life- likely to succeed?
1: Yes, I, I was very fortunate. I was, uh, was a good student, um, graduated first in the class and was voted most likely to succeed. So I think I can probably guess what your next question is.
0: I'm kind of curious if if Donald Trump had any uh, people voted him in any direction.
1: They did. They voted him as ladies' man.
0: Seriously? Seriously? <laughs> uh, well, I guess you could take that either way if you want, as a positive or a negative. But interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Wow. Yeah.
1: But it, it's uh, and I'm not just saying it there. There in the yearbook in 1964. I'm dating myself. Uh, there are photographs of of uh, the people who were best athlete, most likely to succeed, ladies' man, uh, most friendly, etc. His w- pictures.
0: How interesting! <laughs> it's a, oh wow! The things you learn, the things you find out. Uh, I want to ask you about one of your quotes, and I've heard this said by you before. Be your own person. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's extremely important, and particularly when you are trying a case before a jury, whether it be a six-person jury, which we have in civil cases, or a 12-person jury in criminal cases, and in some states, civil cases. Be yourself is extremely important because when you appear before the jury. They are going to either like you, not like you, respect you, not respect you. I think jurors tend to make a decision in a lot of cases based upon the performance of the attorney. Is the attorney honest? Is the does the attorney have integrity? Does the attorney admit things which are really not in a contest? Is the attorney sincere and believe in his or her case and that all to me Mm. means be yourself
0: i totally see what you're saying i one billion percent agree with it because when you are yourself you radiate a certain energy that people pick up on that's at least my belief and the truth always comes through even if it's the truth about yourself where you are being yourself uh so yeah, I think we forget about that. Sometimes we bend for a situation, and we're not really a hundred percent ourselves. And maybe that's sometimes where where people go wrong in different situations, legal or or not. Uh, Paul, great talking with you today. Really, really appreciate it. If if somebody wants to connect with you, member of your team, how do they find you?
1: Well, we're practicing here in Baltimore, Maryland. We uh, are. Have a, You Google the law firm, Beckman with a B-E-K-M-A-N, uh, Marder, Hopper, Malarkey & Pearl in Baltimore, Maryland. Have a website. You can Google the firm, Google the name, and you'll see the attorneys here in the firm. They're all outstanding lawyers. And uh, please feel free to contact us if you have any questions.
0: And I just want to share... I found you by typing, well, in a search, mdtrialfirm.com. MD, of course, or Maryland, mdtrialfirm.com. And uh, that got me to what looks like uh, your current website. So maybe that's just yeah. a, an easier way to get there.
1: Yeah, easier way. The name first name of the, last name of the attorney at MD, Mary David, com.
0: Excellent. Paul, great talking with you today. Love how concise you are. Uh, Just detail-oriented, which is so important when we're dealing with legal situations. And uh, congrats on being a member of our Legal Hall of Fame.
1: Thank you, Steve. It's my my honor.
0: A pleasure to have you on, and uh, happy holidays to you and your family, too. Same to you. Thank you. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Let's go inside the mind of a 10 year old.
1: I should have worn those earrings today. I like those earrings. Gabby has those awesome earrings. I need to ask her where she got those, but that's just what she would want me to do. I'll have Michaela ask her for me. Buckle up, Sarah. Yeah, but then Michaela will be like, why don't you just ask her yourself? That's just like Michaela. Sarah, buckle up. Michaela's such a great name. I wish I was called Michaela. There's, like, a dozen Sarahs in my class.
0: Hey, we're not hitting the road until you buckle up, honey.
1: Oh, yeah. Seatbelt. I forget sometimes because my brain is, like, busy, you know?